0: Today, I'd like to share a message in our series, Walk This Way. And the title of today's message is Three Requirements to Be a Disciple of Jesus. And this is part of the premise. Now, when we're a disciple of Jesus, that is to say, wholeheartedly following him, over time, you'll find that, in, that it integrates your dreams, your desires, your passions, your callings, and at the end, you have the better life, you have a holy life. You could even use the word successful if you would define it correctly, life, rather than going your own way. The Bible says there is a way, it seems right to you, to man, but his way ends in death. Discipleship, becoming Christ-like. Discipleship, following Christ. Discipleship, learning about Christ, learning about the things of God. Discipleship is engaging a spiritual process of development. How can you tell a disciple of Christ versus a person who's not a disciple. Let me first of all see how you can't tell. You can't tell by the color of their skin. You can't tell by their voting record. You can't tell by their family of origin. You can't tell by their tats or no tats, man buns or no man buns. Hey, you see, I got a haircut. Just thought I was saying that. You can't tell male or female, young or old, what gen- you can't tell by looking. So you can- put somebody in the parking lot. Put our best parking lot guy out there. He can't tell who's a Christian, who's following Christ. He can't tell. This is where you tell. Is at Sunday dinner at Applebee's when the waiter brings you your food late, cold and not your order. And how you treat the waiter, the waitress, tells me more about your faith than how you look on the outside. Patience and kindness and these virtues. Used to be when I was a teenager, cultural Christianity was very common. That ship has sailed. In a rapidly, Secularizing culture that in some places borders on being anti Christian, this whole idea of being a disciple comes into focus again. What does a disciple of Jesus Christ look like now? What does it look like? And that's what we're talking about this fall. And today, I want to share with you three times that Jesus says, If you want to be my disciple, you have to do this. It's called a conditional statement. Happens three times related to discipleship. If you do that, then you're that. If you fulfill these conditions, then you're my disciple. If you you fulfill these conditions, then you're my disciple. He says it three times about discipleship. Only three times. So Jesus himself, sharing to to those that are following, he says, listen to me. I can say this is Deep Creek. Deep Creek, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to do these three things. If, then, if, then, if, then. Are we ready to look at the first three? Or the only three? This first one is by far the most difficult. And I'm going to read you, arguably, the most difficult passage in the New Testament. And if you did not know the whole Bible, you would misinterpret this verse. But if you do know your Bible, you can understand it. You ready for it? The first if-then, let's go there. Disciples pursue a passionate devotion to Christ. This is the first thing. Disciples have a passionate devotion to Christ. A disciple isn't the guy that just wants to do enough to get into heaven, but not do enough to change his lifestyle, or the woman that wants to do just enough to be considered a Christian but is not interested in any kind of personal change. He says, nah, now that, those are disciples. Disciples are passionate about Christ. Here's our text for this point, Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate His own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If you you don't do that, then you can't have that. This is difficult. And there's two ways to help clarify this verse. Number one... When the contrast is so great, you have to use hyperbole. Like light, dark, love, hate, good, evil. You have to use these kind of contrasting words if the difference is so great. And so Jesus, number one here, he's using hyperbole. How do I know it's a hyperbole? Because elsewhere the Bible says you're supposed to love your wife. And love your kids and take care of your parents. Say amen to that. My wife's taking care of my parents. i shared that journey with you. She'll be back here in Virginia for a week in November. And she goes back to care for my mom and dad. It's a family decision because we love my parents. I know we're supposed to do that. So on the one hand, we're supposed to love our family. Jesus is saying you have to hate your family. He's talking about contrast. It's contrast. There's such an enormous difference between loving God and loving others that he uses the word hate versus love passionate devotion to Christ then comes first before everything else what he is saying is you have to lose your life to find your life you have to lose self-direction to find direction and in a sense you you lose all your family rights to find the family of god jesus said this as well he said for some of you following me is going to cause even some members of your family to be enemies of you so the whole idea that if we're all just nice christians everybody will like us I don't think that's quite a full picture. The Bible says everybody who desires to live a godly life will suffer persecution, and it says everyone. So there's a cost in our family sometimes in serving Christ. Number 1 here, passion devotion to Christ comes first, not good causes. I want you to hear this this morning. We have to put Jesus first same into that passionately first, the person of Jesus first, and causes second. Are causes important? Yes, of course they're important. You just got to get the order right. What kind of causes? Evangelism, community, healing, justice, care for the poor, homeschooling, political reform. You just fill the blank in. They all have their place, but if Jesus isn't first, you will get exhausted and frustrated over time, but this is what happens when you have a cause that you're giving your life to. If Jesus is first, whether the cause takes a long time or a short time, whether it's accepted or rejected, whether it's straightforward or is behind the scenes, doesn't make any difference because you're serving Christ more passionately than you're serving your cause. You see, number two, Jesus deserves our passionate devotion. I like the phrase passionate devotion, not just devotion. I mean, passionate devotion. There's nobody that has given their life for your sins other than Christ, where the Son of God died for you and rose again from the dead. Don't you think that deserves a little praise? How about this? You were born into sin. The Bible says the devil was your father and now you have a father in heaven who's willing to adopt you into his family, but oh, there's a great price to be adopted. You have to take care of that sin issue. And Jesus says, I'll take care of the sin issue for you. Jesus deserves our devotion. You see, Jesus is supreme. He's most excellent. He's foremost, incomparable, utmost, unrivaled, ultimate, transcendent, surpassing, Marvelous and sovereign. There's nobody like Jesus. Jesus' names, he's the mighty one. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the King of kings. And the Bible says in the book of Acts, when he rose from the dead, he was given a name above every name. When he rose from the dead, he didn't have the name yet. When he rose from the dead, when Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples said, he's now the Lord of lords. That's his resurrection name, Lord of lords. He's over everybody. He's the most high God, the mighty God, the victorious one. Jesus is God incarnate. He is love, he is good, he is eternal, he's omnipotent. He created everything and he holds everything together and he causes you to be born again. Colossians chapter one says he is preeminent in everything. I think he deserves our highest devotion. This is such a discredit to your faith, to be dour. Oh, yeah, this is, you know, my life. My I'm poor, inflation, my kids, my wife, uh, blah, 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 the church, the And I'm going, man, who wants to follow that dude? Jesus said there should be such a hope in us that people say, man, what's a what's with that dude? And then you say, let me tell you about the hope that's in me. Right, The Bible says that people ask you what's going on in your life. Is our, li- our life so good that people say, hey, man, what have you got that I don't have? Yeah, come on. Well, that doesn't happen all that often. Maybe our light should be a little brighter. Yeah. And it comes by having just a passion, devotion for Jesus. I'm not talking about a cause, a theology, a principle, a philosophy. For the person of Jesus Christ who died for you. You see, disciples glorify God by enjoying Him. Jonathan Edwards said that we should be serious about being happy. How? Okay, all right, here you go. God's up there. You're down here. What can I do down here to bring Him glory? up there. This is what I do. I enjoy him. I love God because he's God. I enjoy God because he's God. I obey God because he's God. He's God. I like God. I love God. I'm enthralled with God. Aren't you glad we serve a good God? Man, I tell you, if we had a bad God, we would have been in big trouble. But we have a God whose name is love, a God who is always present, a God who's all powerful. Uh, passion devotion is... Uh, I, Dan, why are you passionate about God? Because he's God. And I tell you, when the, for some the light hasn't gone on yet. When it goes on, that you have a relationship with God and you know God, I mean, that's enough. Once you enjoy God for being God, The devil can pile as much crap in your life as your little car can hold. I don't know if that metaphor works. I'm sorry, but I just said the word C-R-A-P because you guys are all deep creakers. And I understand deep creakers are earthy. Is that true? The devil can just throw it all at you, man. If you love God because he's God... You don't love God because he does what you want. when you You got to get to the point. Obviously, we pray for stuff. But I love him if the answer is delayed or the answer is no. You're God. Here, rocket science, there is a God and you're not God. I like God. That's pretty simple. Let's get t-shirts around here. It says, I like God. Not I'm like God. I like God. I'm going to put the word like in there, not just the word love. I mean, I like him. He's not tripping all the time. He's not moody. He's not, he's not, he's always there. I mean, he's consistent and he's kind and he listens to me gripe and he still loves me. Number two, disciples walk in agape love. This is the second if-then conditional statement. Jesus says in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The word for love there is the word agape. It's different than phileo. phileo. Phileo is friendship love. Friendship love comes out of your emotions. Agape love comes out of your Will. Agape love is a choice. Agape love is the wife who's nice to her husband when he's been just a brute. And he, there's no... I'm not saying you should be abused. I'm not saying that. But in marriage, there's a lot of moving parts. And not a, you're married to a sinner. Say amen to that. How many know that you're married to a sinner? Guys, do not raise your hands. Boy, guys, don't you raise your hands. All the women can raise their hands if they're married. <laughs> well, sinners sin. Uh, ro- Newsflash, sinners sin. Your spouse is going to do something to tick you off someday. Maybe he was on the way to church today. You just got ticked off. Agape, agape resists the resentment and the anger and loves in spite of what they have done. You see, agape just loves because of the value of the person not what the person not the attractiveness of the person i don't mean physical attractiveness i mean that you're something drawn to the no 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 it's it's agape love is that they're worth something in and of themselves they're worth to be loved agape it's a choice now agape love is preeminently practical you can write that down agape disciples our love for the world and our neighbor even our enemies is not pie in the sky some kind of a philosophy It's really practical stuff. We're patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. You know know what chapter of the Bible I'm reading these, don't you? Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love, copy love, does not cancel. does not cancel. Agape love says, I can totally disagree with you, but I choose to love you. I'm going to be kind to you and merciful to you and speak well of you. I'll not gossip about you. If you need me to go one mile, I'll go two. If you need one cloak, I will give you two. That gets the attention of the world, but more importantly, the attention of God. Agape love, the choice we make to love. Number two, see, agape love doesn't have a hook. In other words, you love to get something in return. Luke chapter 6, 35 and 34 says that when you do good to your enemies and you lend to them and you expect nothing in return, your reward will be great with God. Expect nothing in return. Expect nothing. Agape love. Now, there's other kinds of love. They're all all have their place. Agape love is you don't expect anything coming back to you. And I I've, I do marriage seminars. It's been a while since I've done one. Often husbands are taught in in books if you want your wife to respond to you, you want your wife to be amorous. What you need to do is like, like cook dinner that day and, and wash the dishes and maybe clean the house. But you're doing all those things for a payoff. And if there ain't no payoff, it ticks you off. <laughs> well, look what I did all day. I got you flowers, I made the meal agape love says you should do all those things without the payoff you don't have a hook you're just nice to your spouse because you're nice to your spouse ladies go and say amen to that (laughs) and it's whether you're married or not the idea is the same i want you to really get this disciples we love without expecting something in return do we live that way no, we don't live that way. We're nice, and if they're rude to us, they're out of there. I've had people leave the church. I don't, wanna, I don't like to rag on people that leave the church. But one guy, he was a prophetic guy. This years ago. He, he was kind of a self-proclaimed prophet. He left the church, so I passed him in the hallway, and I didn't make eye contact. He came to my house sometime later and said, the Lord told him that I had an offense towards him. And I said, I, I, I don't have an offense towards you. I don't even know you very well. I don't have an offense. He gets embarrassed and leaves the church. Why did he do that? Because I didn't look at him. You know, I often don't look at people when I walk on. I'm a little bit shy and eye contact. Then you have to smile or something. You know you can't just you know you can't just have eye contact. You got to bring the whole face along. <laughs> or or I sometimes I'm thinking, or Melvin Pastor Melvin. Sometimes we're in a rush. I mean really we're in a, we don't have time to engage. Now should I say hi? I should have said hi to him. Yeah probably yeah, but I didn't even remember the incident. Agape love. Gives a get out of jail free card. He did not agape love me. He did not believe the best in me. He had contrived a whole strategy. And then he put God's name on it on top of it. But the good news is Melvin did get over it. (laughs) I'm not going to make eye contact and I'm going to have to smile at you. I'm looking over this way. Agape love is sacrificial, folks. Number three, it's sacrificial. Man, we're just getting going with agape love when we have to sacrifice for somebody. Ladies, I've teased the men a lot today, but let me tell you something about a good man. A good man shows love by sacrifice. Works a second job when he's dead tired. The boy needs cleats for seventh grade football. He'll go without. I'm talking about a good man, not a selfish man. And he doesn't even realize he's doing it. Why? Because he loves his family. And sacrifice is just what we do. It's just what we do. And we don't, we don't feel like there's a scoreboard Will you agree with me that the world needs more love like that? What the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's the only thing that there's just too little of. Is there more to that song? There's more. Diana Warwick? Previous service, I, 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 they shouted me down because I said it was Diana Ross. Sorry. Number three, disciples abide in the word. If then, remember, first one is, if I, you're the most passionate about me, then you're my disciple. If you will love each other with agape love, the sacrificial one-way street without a hook kind of love. That's rooted in the will, not in the emotions. Then you're my disciples. Third one says, if you abide in my word, you're in the word, you're in the word, you're in the word, then you're my disciple. If you're not in my word, you're not really my disciple. He says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, that word abide if you're staying at the Red Roof Inn for a couple of nights, you don't say to something, I'm abiding at the Red Roof Inn. That's a stupid sentence. You're not abiding there. You're just passing through. Your home, on the other hand, that's my house. That's where I abide. That's where my family abides. That's my abode where I abide. I write that down. That's pretty darn good. <laughs> you make you make the word of god your home second timothy chapter 3 says it this way verse 13 15 through 70 from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise who makes you wise mom does a little bit dad does a little bit the pastor does a little bit this verse says the scriptures make you wise the scriptures god's word makes you wise for salvation through faith In Christ Jesus, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. All these words now that come following are all related to discipleship. The word of God instructs, convicts, corrects, and trains. See those four powerful verbs? Or nouns? Instruct, convict, correct, and train. So the man of God may be complete. Teleos is the word for complete. It means you come into the fullness of your design, fully equipped for every good work. See, abiding in God's word is how Jesus is revealed. How do you get to know Jesus? The word of God reveals him to you. How do you get to know God? The word of God, the Bible reveals God the Father to you. How do you know about the Holy Spirit is through the Word. How do you know about anything spiritual? It's in the Word. Without the Bible we would be we would be walking in the dark. But the Bible reveals Christ to us. The more you read the Bible, the more it reveals God to you. Number two, abiding in God's Word is a lifestyle. Abide in abide in the Word. It's a lifestyle When I was 18 years old and I gave my life to Christ, the Word of God, which I had read as a teenager, I would read it, but I hadn't really read it. And when I read it, it just came alive. And I couldn't get enough of it. And then over 30 30 years of reading the Bible and preaching the Bible and reading the Bible and praying the Bible, I got a lot of the Word in my heart Partly because I'm in the pastorate and you study it more when you have to preach it. And then when I was struck with cancer, I got so knocked out of whack. I mean, I was, I was afraid, I was confused, uh, I, was, I, I was uncertain, that I, that, I, that I got out of the word. But I had enough hidden in me that I really didn't notice it at first but over time where i'm just nibbling on the word now i'm not really reading it and studying it and meditating and praying it and enjoying it i'm just doing the the minimum devotion over time i had an imperceptible backsliding in my heart it was imperceptible to the church maybe to my family but not imperceptible to god what had happened i was not abiding in the word I was relying on the word that I had previously studied. Well, that bread had gotten stale. And the Bible says God's word is like manna. It comes in the morning and it's good for one day. And then the next day, what do you got to do, Melvin? You got to get more word and get more word. And Jesus says, I'm not going to trick you guys. If you're going to be my disciples and be successful, you got to be a word person a Bible person, a scripture person. And I know all of us want to be that, but it does take some discipline to self-feed. And the final point for today is that abiding in God's word implies that we obey it. We obey it. Jesus said this, Why do you say to me, Oh, this, you know this verse. I think I said it last week. Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and not do what I said to do? When we read the word, we have to obey it. If we read the word and don't obey it, it's like what the Bible says when the seed is thrown on the hard ground that the devil comes and steals it you gotta act on the word we have to obey the word now let me just make a comment the word has to be contextualized for every time and season every culture and and you have to exegete the culture every generation the preaching and 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 how you how you come to the word is a little different the billy graham altar call doesn't work today like it used to work we're at a different time and season and, but the word is still true. Now we have to, we have to approach it different. The big, the big tense with the big revivals, that's not what God's primarily doing today. He's doing something a little different. So we have to contextualize. The word doesn't change, but how we contextualize it as we exegete our culture. So when I say obey the word, I'm not talking about some kind of we just read it and without thinking about our culture or the context, we just go out and do something. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying Wisely. And appropriately walk out the word. Let's bow our heads together today. Those those online. Father, I pray today that we would be fully dedicated disciples of Christ. I pray we'd have a passion for Christ unmatched, that we would love our neighbor with an agape love of sacrifice. And number three, Lord, that we would abide in your word. We would get in your word. We would study your word. We'd be a word person. With every head bowed, as you're closing this service in prayer, if you'd say, uh, Pastor Dan, uh, I want to give my life fully to Christ. I've been hanging on the edge. I want to... Follow him with all of my heart. With every head bowed, just lift up your hand with mine. Just lift it up. Father, I pray for every hand that's lifted right now in Jesus' name. Lift it up. Go ahead. And I pray that today they would start the journey of being a fully devoted follower of Christ. And it's in your name I pray. Y'all can say amen. Amen. Well, I hope that you enjoyed our sermon today. I hope that you were inspired and challenged. And maybe you have a question about something that you heard in the message today, or maybe you need prayer. We would love to take the time to pray with you and answer any questions that you might have. All you need to do is simply send us an email to online at newlife.global and we would love to connect with you. Well, be sure to subscribe to our channel. You should see the link right over here somewhere and turn those notifications on. That way you are notified every single time we go live on YouTube. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you on the next video. Take care.